the Appendix N Podcast, Episode 22, The Stories of Conan by Robert E. Howard, Part 4. Welcome to the Appendix N Podcast, a Tome Show production. My name is Jeffrey Wynn. This is the show where we tread the jeweled thrones of Earth under our sandaled feet, following in the footsteps of that man of legend, E. Gary Gygax. These are just some of the tales that influenced Mr. Gygax when he helped to create Dungeons & Dragons in 1974. Every episode of Appendix N will feature a different story or collection of stories. My co-host Jeff Wickstrom and I, along with any guests who choose to brave the shadow-guarded tombs of Stygia, will reveal the story and talk about how it may have influenced the first edition of the world's most popular role-playing game. If you would like to be part of the show, you can email the host of The Tome Show, Jeff Greiner, at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Listen to the end of the episode for a list of some upcoming stories. Before we get to the program, let us take a moment to mention our sponsor, Noble Knight, online retailer of new and out-of-print role-playing games, war games, board games, and miniatures. Since 1997, they have helped thousands of gamers from around the world save money and find exactly what they need. You can find them on the web at www.noblenight.com. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Jeff Wickstrom. Welcome back, Jeff. Hi, everybody. And with me, as is usual on these outings with Conan, is my special guest, Peter Foxhoven. Welcome back, Peter. Hey, thanks for having me. This is this is your fourth time on the show because this is the fourth episode of Conan that we have done, and I don't think you've done anything that's not Conan related. So welcome back for the for the fourth time. Oh, thank you. It's good to be here. And tonight we are going to discuss three more Conan stories, and and I'm just going to introduce them all at once. Uh, the first is going to be. Uh, Iron Shadows in the Moon, otherwise known as Shadows in the Moonlight. Shadows in the Moonlight was the published title, and and the former was uh, Howard's uh, preferred title. And this was published April 1934 in Weird Tales. The second of the three is Queen of the Black Coast, published May 1934 in Weird Tales. And finally, we will discuss The Devil in Iron, published August 1934 in Weird Tales. All right, so the first of these stories, Iron Shadows in the Moon or Shadows in the Moonlight. Um, Jeff, can you can you summarize this story for our listeners? Uh, well, I can give it a shot. So you've got um, Conan, right? And you've got this girl, Olivia. And they're in this area that's kind of, but not quite, the Caspian Sea. They're fleeing from uh, a group that is kind of, but not really, coming from Iran. Uh, they go uh, get in a boat. They sail north in, uh, through the Caspian Sea. They find an island. They hide out on the island. Um, they discover that some pirates are coming from the north going south, and so they're going to stick around on the island for a while to just get rid of, uh, let the pirates pass through. Uh, they explore the island. They discover weird uh, ruins, which freak the girl out. Um, then they discover that the pirates, rather than having just passed uh, by the island, they've landed on the island. Uh, Conan 
goes up to the pirates, challenges one of them for leadership, um, defeats him in a duel, and then a guy um, bashes Conan in the back of the head with a sling bullet. And then the pirates start to argue as to whether or not Conan was a pirate and their captain who successfully dueled for the leadership position, or whether he was just a random guy who came up and um, deserved to be bashed in the back of the head. The girl hides, watches all of this happen, um, she eventually goes and rescues Conan, who in the meantime has been held prisoner. They run around on the island for a while. They encounter a giant evil monkey monster. And then uh, they watch as most of the pirates get killed. And Conan and the re- uh, girl leave with the rest of the pirates, pirates to be um, pirate king and pirate queen of the not-quite-Caspian Sea. That was, that, was a good, uh, that was a good summary. So... I, th- I think I think the title refers to they they find weird statues of black people who are not Negroes, and and they 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 come to life and I think that's what kills most of the pirates. Is that is that more or less correct? Correct. They're they're like these giant obsidian golems, I guess, for lack of a better term. That that in the moonlight become animate and start attacking people. Yeah, I didn't mention them when I was recapping the plot because they seemed so extraneous to the plot. Um, they're just this thing that's on the island. As you say, they kill a bunch of pirates when they come to life, but there's also this monkey monster that could just as easily have done the job of killing the pirates. And, Why do you need to have both the monkey monster and the animate statues, huh? Huh? I, I, Why you got to have two things? I don't I, – because two things are better than one thing? I, I, I'm really not sure. Um, and this, this – we, 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 we also get the entire backstory of the living – Iron statues through through a a vision from Olivia's point of view, which is which is something that that's going to happen in the in the other two stories that we're going to talk about. Um, just somebody has a really expository hallucination, right? Yeah, I mean, I mean, Howard Howard has to get the information to us somehow, and and he, rather than have a convenient book lying around, because I I mean, I, I guess Conan's not really literate, and he, he wouldn't care about a book anyway, right? So, yeah, and if there was like some Elminster figure who came up and started telling him things, Conan would just be like, "Shut up and leave." Yeah, Conan would have no interest in hearing the story. Right. Yeah, it's 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 just weird that that we that we happen to read these three stories and and this device shows up in 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 all three stories. I don't I don't think he's really used it used this device a lot before. This this is also the first time in a while that we've seen Conan um, knocked out by anyone. Yeah, the guy just uh, gets the drop on him. You know, I, think, I think the last time we saw it was the Scarlet Citadel, where he's he's actually captured and 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 put into a dungeon, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, I think this one illustrates, especially if we look at um, pirates as being some sort of roguish archetype to take it to like a D and D place. I mean, this is the efficacy of the sneak attack. Ultimately, I mean, a guy like Conan can be <laughs> dropped with a single slingshot. You know, if if you roll well, and if you get that sneak attack bonus, which clearly um, not Sergius Eratus does, right? And he gets a lucky, lucky break. And I think anybody that's had a rogue in their party has seen this exact same thing happen, where so something this is just monstrously big. This is the secret origin of backstab. I can't say that that's true, but it seems to fit in well enough. Like, and it is, uh, it is, it is, it is a a argument for the existence of backstab. 
Exactly. And when we're thinking about like, you know, the two discrepant monsters in here from uh, from another DM kind of perspective, and obviously it's not what I'm sure Robert E. Howard was going for, but you can plant like prophetic visions and all sorts of stuff to your PCs, and they still might find themselves more interested in what's going on with the monkey beast than the giant statues that you put on this creepy island. And that's just kind of the problem that happens with plot hooks. Yeah, I mean, if this were, if we, if what we were reading here were a like a transcript of a game or something, I would think that the man ape was something that Howard came up with on the spot to herd Olivia and Conan, the two player characters, uh, into the ruins since they had been uh, failing to investigate them. Right, because mm-hmm. early early in the in the in the story, someone's throwing boulders at them, and 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 we don't know who mm-hmm. it, who it is. And then and and that then seems we... very much like the sort of thing that. Uh, a certain kind, and it's in a certain kind of game, one which would resemble Conan, I think, that the game master might come up with on the spot, and then later have to justify with a giant monkey monster. And and Olivia is is the is the first of three um, uh, ro- romantic interests that were that we're going to cover in this in this show, and I, I Jeff, she's certainly were, my favorite. Yeah, yeah, I mean she of the three, she makes a conscious decision to rescue Conan. And actually succeeds. Um, yeah, and uh, and her interactions with Conan are not exactly you know, interactions between two equals, but you can get a sense of what each of them are getting out of the interactions. He 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 doesn't club her over the head and and drag her off kicking and screaming. And she appreciates that. <laughs> I mean, that's what that comes down to. Yeah, Conan treats her like a person. As opposed to like a piece of luggage, uh, and unlike the not really Iranian guys, and she really appreciates that, and uh, it inspires her to go rescue Conan from the pirates. I think, I think although the story... that's also uh, in her own self-interest because mm-hmm. certainly none of the pirates are going to rescue her from the pirates. Right. I th- I th- doesn't doesn't the story start with her as a as a slave? Like she's in the in the company of some. Is it is it a, is it a Hyrcanian man, which which I which I think is is the Greek analog. Yeah, Hyrcanians, they're, they're interesting. They're on either sides of the Villette Sea, which as um, Jeff talked about earlier, that's, the, you know, that's um, pretty much the Caspian Sea. So think about those peoples of northern Eurasia or the steppe, right? And that's kind of their analog. I don't know if Hyrcania is necessarily like Greek analog exactly. I mean, Well, but- Hyrcania is on the south side of the Villette Sea, which is in the real world where Iran is relative to the uh, Caspian Sea. Right. Right, and it does have that kind of thing. And Turin, too, which they, they bring up as one of the countries that, which is just on like the other side of the Villiet Sea, all of those people are Hyrcanian as well, right? Turin is just like an autonomous kingdom away from like the larger Hyrcanian sort of homeland. Okay, so are they? I was I was assuming that that was an analog for uh, Azerbaijan. Actually, the capital of Azerbaijan is a enormous and ancient city that is on the coast of the Caspian Sea. It's the largest city on the coast of the Caspian Sea. So, so I figured that was Turin. Her Hyrcanian would be would be less Greek and more like Turkish Middle Eastern, I guess. Perfect. Yes. Yeah. yeah absolutely. That's, yeah. I mean, I mean, I I realize that Robert E. Howard was not was kind of, was consciously not setting his stories in specifically Bronze Age Earth, but rather in something that was very very similar to Bronze Age Earth. A, you know, it's Stygia a, rather than Egypt. It's right. It's, uh, it's, it's a it's a that. lost age that that history has forgotten about that that would eventually be become actual Earth. 
Yeah, but uh, in in all of the stories that I've read up to this point, with exactly one exception that I know of, at least that I've noticed, uh, it's really easy to, or fairly easy to map the uh, map the geography that he's talking about and the countries that he's talking about to um, you know real world Bronze Age cultures, mm-hmm. Rome, Greece, and Egypt, and so forth. Uh, and the the discrepancy is um, actually in Queen of the Black Coast when Conan sails from more or less the Mediterranean to more or less the Red Sea without having to portage anything across the anything like the Suez Isthmus. It's just uh, it's all ocean. Well, this was clearly you know a, a long time ago before continents had shifted, and that's that's going to be my be my be my reasoning. Oh, absolutely. Very much. And yeah. and if you look at most maps, especially the ones like Robert E. Howard drew, um, uh, basically Hyboria, at least the western part of Hyboria, looks like the African continent with just an extension to the north that takes place takes care of most of like the Hyborian cultures, like Aquilonia and Brythonia and all of those guys, and then going up in Samaria and um, Nordheim. So when they're sailing around, um, they're actually kind of sailing around this giant mega continent like it's it's a it's a much more pangean look and there aren't there the big inland sea is the villette but there isn't anything that connects that to the seas that are oceans it's just landlocked and then there aren't really a lot of other things in between on the continents as far as like giant saltwater sort bodies yeah i've seen i've seen the images of this map online although i'm curious as to what like the history of it is when did when did Howard decide that this was how things looked? Because until I saw that it was actually prepared by Howard, my assumption was that it was done by Elsprague de Camp or some uh, some fan. Right. Hold on, I actually have some of his maps because I have the the nice Del Rey books that Patrice Lunway did, and he was like really exhaustive in finding stuff. So let me try to see if they put a date on these maps because they have the original maps that Howard drew, like a little copy of them in here. So we can continue talking about other things while I try to hunt that down. But it would be interesting to know. Well, then if we're if we're moving on, let us let us talk about uh, Queen of of the Black Coast because I think I think this this is going to dominate most of our conversation this this evening. Queen of the Black Coast is a story that. Uh, has seems like it's it's been been hyped a lot and i was i was kind of um i'm sorry to say underwhelmed by it um jeff why don't you uh summarize queen of the black coast for us okay so there's this guy conan and he is fleeing for his life in this city that's not really Constantinople. Uh, he gets on a boat. He tells the uh, guy whose boat it is, you know, let's move this boat quickly. Guy does not know who Conan is. He sees that he's being pursued by the cops. He also sees that Conan has, you know, a gigantic sword pointed at him. So it's like, okay, let's go. Here we go. They sail out of Constantinople. It's not really Constantinople. Conan explains, um, you know, that he had this complicated legal problem and then to deal with it, he murdered the judge and they really didn't like that. Uh, yeah, I, was, so- I was surprised they, they let Conan bring a weapon into court. <laughs> My suspicion is that uh, it didn't occur to them that attacking the judge was something that somebody might do because they were, you know, weak, civilized uh, people who don't think like barbarians. That would be I, my, my I, guess there. I guess. That's, that's totally why we allow guns in court today. But anyways, continue. 
Uh, so he uh, rides this on this boat down the coast, um, makes friends more or less with the uh, the guy whose boat it is. Then pirates attack, and the guy whose boat it is is like, "Oh, I sure hope it's not Bellet's boat." It turns out it is Bellet's boat. Bellet is this pirate queen. Um, she chases down the ship. Ship tries to get away. Can't. Doesn't get away. An arrow takes out the guy whose boat it is. Whose name? I, I keep referring to him that way because I can't remember his name. Conan uh, takes charge. Tries to get the sailors to fight the pirates. It does not go very well. Uh, Conan and the pirate queen Bellet come face to face as Bellet's pirates overwhelm the ship Conan is on. Uh, and then Bellet takes one look at Conan and is like, oh, you are clearly the man for me. Let's be uh, pirate lovers. And Conan is like, that sounds great. Um, so next thing you know, Bellet and Conan are being awesome pirate lovers Together they sail down the coast of uh, past not Lebanon and not Israel and um, across the Suez Isthmus to the to the not the Red Sea. Um, they put in at a I forget exactly why there's some reason for it. They put in at the mouth of a river um, and go exploring. They find a um, a big ruined city. <sighs> which incorporates a giant winged ape monster among its many features. Uh, but it also features a gigantic altar, which um, Bellet has the sharp idea of searching for hidden treasure. Um, Conan and a couple of the other, uh, three of the other sailors start searching the altar for hidden treasure. Bellet says, hey, Conan, come over here because I saw a snake. Conan comes over to kill the snake and um, thus avoids the trap. Bellet explains that she just suspected there was a trap, there was no snake. Then she and Conan root around through the wreckage. Um, the clearly clearly she, she forgot that barbarians have trap sense. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they root through the wreckage. They find some very luridly described uh, jewelry. Just a huge, huge pile of it. Bellet is charmed. Um... Then there are, oh, what happens at that point? Some horrible noises. Conan goes off to investigate while Bellet um, takes charge of moving the jewelry onto the ship. There's some problem where the giant winged ape has gone onto the ship and staved in their barrels of water. So maybe it's water that Conan's going to find. That seems likely. Anyway, it doesn't work out for Conan. He gets drugged, and he has an elaborate expository hallucination about the history of this city. Which, which, which is the second time that, that, this is, that this has happened. Yeah, and by the time the hallucination is over, I'll let somebody else describe the hallucination, but by the time the hallucination is over, everybody's dead, pretty much. Um the either killed by the giant ape monster or by the zombie hyenas. There are also zombie hyenas. And uh, Bellet is hanging from the yardarm of the ship, um, strung up with the very jewelry that she discovered. Exactly how and why that's done, I don't know. But she's dead. Conan is pretty upset, um, understandably. He gets ready to uh, mount, a, mount a Viking funeral for her, has to deal with the uh, monkey monster and the zombie hyenas first. He does that, and then he uh, loads Bellet and the jewelry and uh, so forth all up onto the ship, lights the ship on fire, and sends it out into the ocean to sink. Uh, 
end of story, Conan is sadder but wiser. Mm-hmm. Uh, did I leave anything uh, big out, Pete? Uh, no, I don't think so. That really tightly captured everything. Be- before we, we, we get into this into the discussion, I'm, I'm I'm looking at the at the cover of Weird Tales in which this story uh, debuted, and and I just I just have to laugh because because uh, Conan is is depicted as as being this um, white guy with a with it with a high sloped forehead and a and a receding hairline. I mean he he he, he kind of looks like I don't know like 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 Noel Coward or something, and he's he's <laughs> he's holding this this tiny toothpick of a of a dagger in his in his hand and, and and the whole thing is is posed like some kind of classic greek uh painting it, it, it's basically just uh terrible artwork is what i'm saying and it's it's hilarious uh but continue uh pete you were gonna say okay. something um well uh so on to the the i kind of forgot what i was gonna say um but the uh the vision thing that we talked about so the expository hallucination Yes, uh, expository hallucination, and this one, of course, by Black Lotus, right? Because we do we have seen before that random types of lotus can give you, you know, can make you trip. So of course we threw that one in, and uh, so Conan basically what he sees is this ancient angelic winged race that exists in this city, Zarkiba or whatever it's called. Yeah, Zarkiba, and um, and they there's like a big earthquake and floods that trigger the destruction, poisoning the water. The race slowly mutates into being kind of the winged demon ape creature right that we see and it's kind of just that one left and so yeah, it's Conan not really sees... clear i don't think how it goes from being a whole city full of people to just the one guy who has turned right. into a giant winged ape monster that's glossed over i think in just the sort of montage where it's like maybe they just did like a like a nice wipe and then suddenly there's like only one left because they didn't have time well i think i think sort of... in addition to being a giant winged ape monster he's also an, an a necromancer or we a lich just, or yeah both. he's a he's a necromancer he's described as a necromancer and we discover that when he generates those zombie hyenas yeah so he's he's a monster with class levels which that is a terrible combination <laughs> Absolutely. Well, and it, it speaks to his having been mutated from something more humanoid, right? Because it's retained the class. It, it, it clearly re- can, uh, retains some kind of intelligence as opposed to the ape creature that we saw in um, Iron Shadows in the Moon, where it's just like it thinks about pelting people with rocks and consuming human beings, right? This thing obviously has some sort of cognitive process that we can think about, um, is really like purposeful in what it does. Uh, this, the subtext I always thought if not i'm spacing on whether or not it was actually said but you know her baylet hanging from the yard arm is i think pretty explicitly this beast's doing right because it has the wings and i think that was to like provide extra motivation for wanting to kill the thing yeah well i mean i suppose but from like a structural point of view it provides conan with extra motivation to kill the thing i'm not sure why the ape chose to do it that way but to, to taunt conan or you know yeah promote his superiority or something i i, I suppose I, I or with suppose, its intelligence maybe could identify her as some sort of leadership position and it's just like in the old you know back in the day then you want to sow discontent and discord in the ranks you you know execute officers in leadership positions mm-hmm. so that people have like worse morale checks uh from a gaming standpoint but they're you know worse in the morale of the troops and maybe that's as we have because we don't see it we don't really know a lot of of the order of events after 
Conan goes cold, you know, passes out from the Black Lotus. And so it could have been that that may have, you know, might have been like stroke one is hang the leader and then sow all this discord and kind of like run people through the jungle. Because clearly Ngora, oh, the yeah, subchief, has been driven sane, insane as well. And yeah. Conan is forced to kill him. So it's probably caused a lot of like was meant to scatter the crew. Because the thing, if it has any intelligence, has to know that even though it's powerful, there's enough of them that the sheer multitude might be able to overtake it. Fair enough. Fair enough. You could, you could, you could also say, like, I mean, could, because he's a he's a necromancer, it, it 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 could be some sort of ritual sacrifice. Like, maybe he's planning to pluck out her heart later, and if she's not strung up in exactly this fashion, oh. it 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 won't provide the right. Uh, material component, but I mean that's that's just me um, speculating. Sure, sure. It's far it's far from my my like main compl- or biggest complaint about this story. It's a it's a pretty minor thing. Right. I, I'll I'll absolutely agree that there are all kinds of possible um, plausible explanations. What is what is your main complaint about this story? My main complaint about this story, hmm, if I had to pick one. It would probably be that you have this elaborate backstory for the winged ape monster and the city. Um, it goes to the, the level of detail of talking about a pole shift um, as being the cause of the environmental cataclysm. And the uh, what I would think would be largely unnecessary story of the origin of the zombie hyenas, which is that a bunch of guys came to the city and... The um, winged ape monster used necromancy to turn them into zombie hyenas. So you have this fairly complicated expository hallucination uh, and all of this backstory. And then you have Bellet's ghost as a supernatural element that is not explained, is not explored, you know, why, why that is, how that is. And that's. I think either of those are fine. You could have just a, there's a and there's a ghost, mm-hmm. or you could have there's these monsters and this weird prehuman history with a pole shift and so forth. But having both of them in the same story and not tying them together, not it not being that like Bellet's ghost was there as a result of the winged ape man- monsters necromancy, yeah, right? Was... That because that, if she was like there as a as some kind of ritual component, maybe her spirit is unquiet, and that was uh, that was a thing. But that's that's like a post facto justification. Yeah, Bellet's Bellet's uh, ghost really threw me off. It, it 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 just comes like out of out of nowhere. Like it 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 seemed to me like it was an expression of of her of her love. Like she loved Conan so much that she was willing to stick around, and that's fine. Right, but that's not what the story has been about up to this point. You know, we've been told that Conan and Bellet are super into each other and having fun being pirates, but you know, we skipped from um, Bellet deciding uh, to make him his her uh, her pirate king and doing a little dance for a sexy dance for him to straight to this city. There's not. Mm-hmm. There hasn't been a lot of development of Bellet as a character. A lot of well, discussion mean, of them as a romantic pairing. Most most of these stories don't really do much in the way of character development. I mean, that's, and that's, that's and that's fine. But if you're going to do that, don't yeah. have a don't have a ghost that's there because of her undying love. Yeah, I would. I I, 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 I wasn't it, even sure that that they were in love as so much as lust, but. 
so she's she's so right. filled with lust that she comes back from the dead to save his right. life because yeah, he's I, just that good in dead. I I found Bella to be I mean disappointing. I mean we 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 have so few warrior women in in any of these stories Conan and and otherwise right yeah and and yeah, I we... think that I, I I think that part of my um my uh, reluctance to to let Queen of the Black Coast off easily is because for years and years and years I've heard of Queen of the Black Coast is oh it's this great story where Conan falls in love and there's this awesome warrior queen um and and we didn't really get that, and so we got uh, Bellet and her sexy dance and her obsession with the. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 she she's awesome because we're told that she's awesome, right? She Ex- she yes. shows yes. up, and Howard describes how beautiful she is, and she's somehow captain of this ship full of savage black people, right? Mm-hmm. And so presumably she can beat up anyone. You know any any number of these black people who challenge her to combat, and that's why she's captain. But we never actually see her fight while she's alive. So it it, it could be that she's just a very sexy dancer, and these superstitious black sailors are ensorcelled by her. I mean, you yeah. Could, it, it's I don't really... think it's the fan dance from Star Trek Five. Like I don't well, think I don't think that she's allured these people with her fan dance. You know, well, like, how she's I... described though is that she um, she's both lithe and voluptuous. Mm. Uh, she and wears only deep. a silk girdle, and yet she doesn't have a sunburn or even a tan. She wears only a silk girdle, and yet she has this pale ivory skin, um, which is. Great in terms of um, it's very attractive. That's what's being presented as attractive, and I can buy it in somebody like Olivia or Octavia, who are presumably kept indoors um, for you know, most of the time. But I w- but the description of Bellet was not the description of. I was expecting somebody to be described kind of like Xena, warrior princess, and I feel like the person who was described was more like. <sighs> I don't know. I can't think of a good example off the top of my head. Like, like a male sexual fantasy. Yeah. Well, basically, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's key because who's the audience? I mean, that's the one thing I'm going to say. Like, I'm a big defender of this story, as I'm sure we're going to get into here in a bit. Um, but it is a lot about the audience, and the audience for the, this like weird tales was, you know, like young men and things like that. So, I mean, having they're not going to go too far into. Um, especially in the 30s, like this very powerful woman that's like running things, like it'll get glossed over a little bit. Plus, there is kind of this untold number of uh, unspecified amount of time between the beginning of Queen of the Black Coast and the end of Queen of the Black Coast. It makes it look like, um, uh, you know, he meets up with Bellet and then almost immediately they like are going to Zakiba and they run into... Uh, the giant winged beast and everything goes down, but actually there's this there's reason to believe that there's tons of time that goes on in between there. And Howard just says, oh, and they pillage the Black Coast for a while. But we don't yeah, really know what yeah. that for a while is. And in later stories, Conan's reputation as Amra the Lion right, comes from his time raiding the Black Coast. So it had to have been substantial. 
Like, this had to have been a significant time. It's just I don't think that, I think knowing what the audience was going to be, and at this point he's been publishing in Pulps for quite some time, he knows that if he spends a lot of time in this story talking about, you know, the the growth of their relationship, that that's going to turn off the editors, that's not going to get his story sold, and so he glosses over it. But we have this great moment where she even says, um, when they're talking about Conan's belief in the afterlife or lack thereof, when Baylet says, there is life beyond death, I know, and I know this too, my love is stronger than any death, right? And she talks explicitly mm-hmm. about, like, if something were to take you from me, I would find a way to rematerialize, right, and protect you. And that's exactly what happened. So it's just kind of hearkening back to, I think that's Robert E. Howard's way of saying, yes, I'm not giving you a lot of what went down in this indistinct amount of time but it was significant to the point where her love for this guy is sufficient enough for her to transcend the bonds of death to come back and save him i hear what you're saying i didn't like the story enough to give it the benefit of the doubt in in a lot of ways but it's certainly true that there's an indeterminate period of time between them meeting and bellet's death and they do have that conversation and that that does foreshadow bellet's ghost appearing um I just I just feel like it's um thematically out of place. Mm. Yeah, you have, and I can you see can have, that. You have you have the one or they have the other. I got I got distracted by by trying to imagine how how a young man of of the nineteen thirties might might envision this uh, half-naked warrior uh, woman because my, my, my thinking went that there, there was probably not a big emphasis on uh, women's uh, fitness at the time. And I, I actually did some quick research and, and there, there were women in the Olympics and there, and there were women uh, athletes, but it was, it was not a big deal yet, right? And you, you probably had like glamour models, but you didn't really have fitness models you know like someone someone like a like a Jillian Michaels or or something right so the 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 average you know guy is is probably just seeing you know and I I I don't even know how ubiquitous pornography was at this at this time right like you know so 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 the 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 average you know man reading the story was probably just seeing a a Hollywood actress not not really someone with with you know biceps or 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 a six pack just just topless i guess right well pornography would have been not to steer the conversation too far away but like would have been more widely available than we think it's not like today obviously but i mean like you're going back all the way to the times when people are still putting you know coins into a nickelodeon to watch naked women right and they're hand cranking the kinetoscope so I mean, this goes back to the early teens, where you have moving pictures being used for pornographic purposes. So at least it is in distribution and like more wide distribution than I think we we uh, realize hmm. at this period. But but I think that if you're looking at what social beauty standards would have been, I mean, when we're coming out of the 20s, women are really tiny, and I think we're slowly getting up to that like 1940s, 1950s, more curvy sort of classic era. Hollywood lady, you know, and mm-hmm. so I think that people are probably would be picturing her it's, when he says she's like lithe and voluptuous as like soft. Most of the women um, that Robert E. Howard describes, even the next biggest, you know, badass fighter chick after Baylet is, uh, uh, oh man, I can't believe I'm spacing on her name, Valeria uh, from Red Nails. 
And uh, she's also described as like being very feminine and very womanly. Like they describe her outfit as being that of a pirate, but they, he says explicitly, but it doesn't take away from her womanly aspect. Right. So I think that they still have this very Mm -hmm. like women are soft, curvy sort of idea. Yeah, so I, I mean, I was, I was more or less right. I mean, she's, she's, she's not really described as a warrior chick, right? Her, her fighting prowess is something that that we can, we, that we can only really assume because she controls a ship full of, you know, violent, you know, black, black sailors, right? Right, and I, there must be something about her personality that is fearsome enough. Like it's that I think that is more of about it's the the great to go a D place with this because whatever it is appendix n um you know that's that's the double-sided coin of of that charisma bonus right charisma also feeds into skills like intimidation so Baylet just might have a magnetic enough personality that sure she may not be the greatest fighter in the world though she is portrayed as a badass i mean her reputation is such but there must be something about her magnetism or her force of character that is able to compel fierce loyalty out of a band of outlaws maybe maybe she's a she she's a bard because because leader leader characters usually usually get get bard levels mm. yeah it could easily be a lot of well, a lot of leader you have to have no hmm? go on I was gonna say especially like in first ed didn't you also have to pick up like fighter and rogue before you could be bard that seems to fit Baylet. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't play First Ed. I just. I, I just seem to remember that that a lot of NPCs in adventures who are who are some type of leader usually have one or two le- levels of bard in there with with with, with everything else. Right. Well, the inspiring word is useful. Yeah. All right. So, ha- is is there anything more to say about Queen of the Black Coast? Um. Only that maybe this is some of. Howard's best prose, regardless of um, holes possibly in the story or, you know, Baylet not being the warrior Xena archetype that we Mm -hmm. kind of, people kind of expect her to be, up there, in my opinion, up there with um, Frost Giant's daughter, those are probably the two best Conan stories by prose. The explanations are good, the wording is good, the flow is very strong, they use good, like especially like in Frost Giant's Daughter, good allusions to classical mythology. I think this mm-hmm. is really Robert E. Howard showing that he can write, he's not just some dime store pulp author, that he is mm-hmm. a legitimate novelist. I, I, I do have to say that even even when, when I'm not uh, over overwhelmed by his stories, Howard doesn't ever seem to phone it, it, it in, the way you know, Burroughs some sometimes did. Like I don't I don't feel like he's just copy pasting uh the last the last action scene. I mean that that fight with the hy- hyena zombies was was visceral and bloody. I think at at one point he like tears one's throat out with his bare hands and breaks the leg of a, of another and it, <laughs> it 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 issues like a strangely human cry which 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 alludes back to uh, them, them actually being people who were transformed into hyena zombies. So I mean, yeah, he's 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 definitely giving us uh, all all he has. I'll certainly agree with that. I mean, I was not, I admit, expecting to get a reference to a pole shift in the middle of Queen of the Black Coast. But when I saw it, I thought that that was something, uh, something cool to see. In that case, we will, we will move on to The Devil in Iron. Uh, Peter, would you like to summarize The Devil in Iron? Sure. Okay, so 
Devlin Iron, let me scroll up on my notes here. Okay, so once again, takes place on around the Villa Yet Sea, once again, while he's a Kozak. So this one, like I said, takes place chronologically before Iron Shadows and the Moon. And so there is a Uetishi a fisherman that's blown off course in the storm. He goes through all these like uh, cliffs and jungles to this remote island called Zapur. I, I, I assume that's how it's pronounced. X's always throw me off. Um, it's this really old city. Fisherman reaches for a jeweled dagger, you know, finds this truly giant man, sits up and like snaps the dude's neck. So meanwhile, while that's all going on to show us that like there's some weird stuff on the island, there's a guy named Jehungur Aga who's the lord of Kawarzim, and he does is is talking to how King Yezdegerd of Turin is not having it with these Kozaki bandits from the steppes, and that Conan is leading all of these very successful raids. And so his plan is to send a, Namidian, a captive Namidian princess named Octavia and to do um, let her escape onto the island of Zapur and then kind of like let Conan track her down, and then they'll use that to trap Conan, get him, kill him, right? Um, Octavia refuses to do this until there's a, a torturer that shows up and she kind of decides to, you know, make her stay. So she thinks she's actually escaping. And I think that's important. Like she goes and thinks like, ah, I, I, I can't do this, but I am going to escape. That's a good idea. Does, but they of course have let her Xantos Gambit style um, have just let her go. And she makes her way up to these cliffs and goes through all that. Conan sails to the same island, just as everyone planned. Um, you know, disembarks and goes through the forest thinking of, like, you know, the beautiful things he's seen in Jenkugir's pavilion or whatnot. Um, and then he goes and he, like, sees this huge city that's rebuilt, full walls, full battlements, and he knows that there's supposed to just be ruins on this island, and he's going to book it. Like, he's going to leave, but he does smell a woman's perfume and thinks, oh, man, I better go and, like, help her, because apparently the perfume she's wearing is so strong that it just stays around in the jungle. And so... uh <laughs> Like, he notices, um, like, he goes into the city, uh, runs into this woman named Yatali, and then they, you know, she recounts kind of all this, how the, you know, their slaves rose up, and how she remembers being killed, and this big, monstrous dude named Kostrelkel, who will come into play later. Um, Conan notices when she's talking to him that there's, like, you know the furs of animals that have long since been extinct so he kind of gets the impression that this is a really old thing or that this woman is not supposed to be in this time and place and so he goes finds the throne room uh sees a giant slumbering snake because it's not a conan story without a giant snake um and then he goes through the corridor and he stops and hears a hypnotizing chant right learns about this guy that kosatral kel that i talked about earlier goes through uh, finds out that they were able, the Uteshi fishermen people, like which are just these people on the Villiet Sea, uh, were able to defeat Kostrakel with this dagger that they made out of a meteorite. And then after a while, that Junghir Agha guy um, decides that he's, he's tired of waiting for Conan and he's just going to take archers into the forest, goes in. Um, of course, at this point, the Iron Skid Giant, which is Kostrakel, has awoken, and Conan cannot defeat him with a sword. And so he wraps his face in a tapestry and just books it, um, gets out. And uh, when the doors are about to be pounded in by this guy, for some reason, the monster stops, ostensibly, I think, to go and take care of Aga's men, Johingir Aga. And Conan gets the idea that he, he that dagger must be being protected by the giant snake. So he's going to go and get it. 
tells Octavia to stay here, which of course she does not. Um, they go in, fight the fight the giant snake, grab the magic dagger, kill Kostrakel, find out that Jungaraga has been destroyed, and then they like go away from the city. They take his boat and they row away as the city of Dagon fades. And I think yeah. ostensibly collapsing when Kostrach Kel dies. Is it right? is it the city of, of Dagon, like the Lovecraftian Dagon? See, I've always wondered about that too, because they talk about like they is they do say Dagon and then they talk about Dagonia, right? And so I don't know if like if that's explicitly supposed to be in reference to um like Lovecraft's Dagon or if it's supposed to be some sort of veiled allusion to like the Sumerian Babylonian Dagon. Like mm. I don't know. Now, that's, I, yeah, that's how I took it, since there are also references to like Mitra and Ishtar and such mm-hmm. elsewhere in these stories. Now, I, I, I do remember at the, at, at the opening of this story, as, as, as soon as I realized that, that these two characters were plotting against Conan, just saying to myself, oh, these people are both going to die. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I was, I was surprised, though, that Conan more or less fell into their trap. Uh, I was expecting Conan to, um, you know, to completely have the uh, have the upper hand on these guys from the beginning. But no, he, for once, he uh, he was the dumb guy that Conan the Barbarian stereotypically is. He's usually a lot smarter than people give him credit for, but not in this case. Well, if 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 you want to survive, there's one thing you never ever put in a trap, and that is that is Conan. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, and I think this is still this is his midway period. So this is before. You know, I mean, I, th- I still think he isn't battle-hardened, he isn't wizened. He's going to gain a lot of experience being the leader of the Kozaki. He really is. That's going to teach him a lot about leading men, and then he's going to lead a bunch of other groups of people through his time. Um, but this is during that period when he's been a thief, he's been a mercenary for a little bit, and through a series of events that we'll read about later, he's he's kind of come into contact with these Kozaks and has won their won their approval and has become a leader of them. And so I think he's still so fledgling to that sort of leadership position that he's still that brazen Conan that we saw in God and the Bull, where he's just like, whatever, I'll break in. I'm not afraid of anything. So mm-hmm. I think that it, it, this is still a period in his life where he hasn't been foiled by the traps of other people a lot yet. Mm-hmm. And he still kind of sees things two-dimensionally as the only way to get me is if you actually like stab me to death with a sword in combat. And that's like it, right? There's no other conceivable way I could, I could bite it here and so then he just kind of like you know will run in cocky that he can take everything and that shows when he sees Kostrakel which is this giant being right super powerful being his his impulse is just to attack it with his normal sword he even had the hypnotic visions knowing that like you know they needed a special dagger but he doesn't care he just whacks at it with a sword to no avail yeah expository hallucination yeah yeah mm-hmm. I don't I don't I don't even think that, that that we see the Kazakhs that he is leader of in this in this story. He's just he's just off on his own exploring this this island for I guess reasons. Yeah, they yeah they talk about it, but they never um, and they they say that he was there with the Kazakhs a month earlier, which is how he knows that the the castle should be in ruins and isn't. Uh, but the Kazakhs themselves never uh, never show up on screen, so to speak. And the stuff with the Kazakhs, I think, falls into the same that that indeterminate period with Baylet that we talked about earlier, where this is the reason why all of the pastiche work started started happening, why you get the Elsbrog to camp 
and Lynn Carter stuff, why you get, you know, Roy Thomas in the comic books. And even today, the stuff that's coming out now through Dark Horse um, for Conan comic books fills in a lot of those gaps because mm-hmm. they just exist. We know that he's out doing that, but Robert E. Howard, unfortunately, took his own life before we could get too much of it. And yeah. so there is luckily, I mean, for the continuing corpus of, of Conan literature, there's a ton of space where we just have these little hints that things have happened and we are people can fill in kind of the gaps. Yeah, a lot of heroes have, you know, their one story that is their dramatic arc and there's not really stuff that happens to them afterwards or if it does it's a sequel and it's less interesting, but Conan is I'm not going to say unique but rare mm-hmm. in that his story is in little pieces scattered throughout his life. So there's a bunch of holes rather than just what came before or what came after. Right, and, and I don't think it's it's even necessary or Im, Im, important that that we have every detail of Conan's life mapped out in chronological order. We're we're getting the fun parts, the 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 interesting parts. If if Howard had detailed every adventure that Conan ever went on, they would start to get rote. And like I mean, even even some of these stories, in my opinion, after you, you read like ten of them. Some of them tend to get re- repetitive. So if, if if we had ten ten times as many, you know, they would they would just get further and further di- diluted. I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And well, they'd have to start relying on the mundane. I, I think a lot about um, for like another Star Trek reference in this this episode. Um, you know, whenever you watch like a series like that, that's that's not necessarily what happens to Kirk and Co. Isn't like every day. Right, because every day is like we had to scan a planet and it was super boring and we just took notes of it, right? Like that's their day to day, like at the office, right? And I'm sure Conan's day to day is like I'm looking for work, but crap, there's no work, so I'm just gonna spend this gold and get drunk. And oh no, I'm out of gold. Better find work faster. And I think then that impulse of better find work faster is where we're like, oh, now is a good time to see what Conan's up to. Right, but otherwise, like, there's always these periods where he's sort of fat and happy, like, just living off of the spoils of war and not really needing to do anything. Where I think he's just kind of like laying about, partying for the most part. Yeah, if he can afford it, why not? And it so seems to be by his is... own. Oh, sorry. I was going to change the subject, but if you have more to say. Oh no, nope. Oh, uh, I was just going to say that this is another story that features a mysterious ancient city full of people in a dreamlike uh, trance, which is not something that I would have thought would be a recurring theme, but uh, we saw that in Uh, the... uh, Zuthal of the Dusk. Yeah, yeah, the uh, the Lost City, um, Dungeons & Dragons Module B4. Yeah, yeah, it did did seem strangely reminiscent of, of, of that, and we even... We we even have a you know a a monster stalking stalking the halls. I think I think in in Zuthal it was an ape monster, and here it's a giant iron iron thing. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think I think I think in in Zuthal it it was a snake, wasn't it? I I can't remember. No, oh. Zuthal had that weird Lovecraftian like amorphous. Tentacle. Yeah, the t- tentacle thing, and he slashed at it without. Oh really yeah, wasn't hurt. wasn't that that the thing with 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 the strangely um, not very creative name? Like like wasn't it it, it like Gak or something? Or... It was like Thog. Thug. Yeah, Thug. yeah. Thog. Thug. Yep. Yeah. Thog. And... Yeah. I mean the 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 Iron Giant. The 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 um the who who is is apparently also like a a demon lich 
from an, another plane is 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 a far more interesting monster here. Yeah, but this is another situation where the all of that is just exposition that is really pretty clumsily uh, inserted, and it's interesting and and well written, definitely. But it's a little weird that Conan would be walking through the castle and he would hear this this mysterious. I don't think it ever gets particularly explained. Chanting, and that chanting is not only telling the story of the um, giant uh, iron statue monster man, but also causing Conan to visualize um, either that or it's an extremely descriptive chant, uh, or it's causing Conan to visualize what uh, what is the life story of the uh, the titular devil in iron. Yeah, I, I mean Howard really should have invented some kind of like sidekick or something for for. Conan and you know, like like someone like like the Mako character in 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 the films who's intelligent and actually interested in this history stuff and you know that that character can translate the hieroglyphics or read the ancient crumbling tome and and tell us this stuff while while Conan's off having his you know brawny ad, adventures yeah, because it's interesting because on the one hand, Howard has all of this backstory that he wants to deliver. And it's interesting backstory, absolutely. Um, it's worth worth reading and worth experiencing. But his character that the whole thing is built around is a character who is singularly disinterested in finding that kind of thing out. So we have in these three stories three different ways in which that, ex- that exposition is kind of forced uh, twice onto Conan and once onto Olivia in uh, Shadows in the Moonlight in the form of weird hallucinations, which are inexplicable and probably not the way I would have done it. But on the other hand, it's kind of hard to criticize Robert E. Howard for that kind of thing because he was a genius and an excellent writer, and I am neither of them. I mean, had, had was was the exposition sidekick like had 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 that idea been in, in invented at this at this time? Absolutely, that's that's all Doctor Watson exists for in Sir Arthur Conan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and he's just there to make honestly. My this is the way my dad explained it to me as a kid. He was like, "Our doctors are smart people, right? They go to med school." I'm like, "Yeah." And I was like, "So if he can't figure it out, Sherlock Holmes must be really smart, right?" I'm like, "Oh yeah," he's like, "It's to make you not feel dumb for not figuring it out and to give an excuse for Conan." Or I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> Sherlock to explain something, but Conan doesn't need that. Unfortunately for Robert E. Howard, by his insistence on this rough-and-tumble, barbaric sort of existence that he thought was preferable, he wrote himself into a corner that Conan isn't really going to hang out with people that are learned or, you know, care about the arcane. When we actually see him, I mean, like we talked about Peleus in uh, Scarlet Citadel, it's the only wizard he really actually hangs out with because he wants to, and even then he doesn't really like it. Yeah, right? It's the, just convenient yeah, for him. Yeah. In the last Conan stories, he expresses a kind of an abstract appreciation for men of letters, artists and writers and things, but uh, not to the extent of you know, actually hanging out with one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he's clearly thought about it because in Queen of the Black Coast, he talks about how there's that great line if, if you know, let the priests and philosophers think about whether or not reality is an illusion because if it's an illusion, then I'm an illusion and that doesn't make the illusion any less real to me. Right, so whatever I exist in this reality for whatever it means, it's not worth thinking about. I can kill things, I can get money, I can have fun. There we go. 
and that's mm-hmm. kind of as far as he thinks it through. And and I, I think I think clearly most of the people who who adapt Howard Howard's works have have sort of sort of realized this because if, if you notice in 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 both the movies and and the the animated series, he he has a party of adventurers that he that he he travels with because I mean he he needs people people to talk to and there and there needs to be other personalities and 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 other points of view in a in a story like this. Yeah, you have to have somebody to deliver the exposition, um, either to do it or to do it too. For a while in Doctor Who, um, you know that's I mean, that's the whole reason that the Doctor has traveling companions is so they can ask questions and the Doctor can answer them, and uh, then we, the audience, get to find things out. And for a while, uh, they want, they were experimenting with the Doctor not having a companion uh, early in the uh, the fourth Doctor, Tom Baker's uh, period, but it. It just did does not work without him having somebody to explain things to. Tom Baker, the actor, actually suggested um, so that no actor would have to ask, be the be the, play the character who asked stupid questions. Uh, he suggested making a little uh, puppet that could be like a little robot bird that sat on the doctor's shoulder and <laughs> just had no function beyond asking uh, stupid questions. Is that where they got K nine? <laughs> Uh, well, canine is is definitely from that era. I don't know if uh, if that idea eventually gave rise to canine. Yeah, but I, mean, I mean the the expo- the the idea of the the exposition character is 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 why we have Harley Quinn. So, you know, um, what I, what I'm saying is that Conan should have a Harley Quinn. I guess I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, he definitely needs one. One thing I'm. Um, unrelated but related to the story that i was thinking about when uh, we were talking about how like uh, the dream sleep people you know how you have that here you have that in zuthal i've always sort of read and it is because of um howard's letters to lovecraft where he talks about barbarism being like a more natural state and civilization being petty and like in really transient like it's not going to stick around there is almost a huxleyan tone to a lot of Howard's writing where all of these people that are living in these really ancient cities become really docile and they like, you know, whether it's huffing Black Lotus to just dream all day or whether they just live in sort of, they are only awake at night because of certain rotations of the moon, like in this story or whatever causes them to wake up. There is something of that Howard is, it almost seems like there's something he's trying to say about our reliance on le- like being leisurely, whereas you have uh, Conan, who is the exact opposite of that. I mean, yes, he does, you know, fornicate and spend gold and party and drink, but most of the time he's earning his living in these very robust, very, like, action man sort of ways. He's not, like, he doesn't want to just sit on a divan and, and and smoke out of a hookah and, like, have girls entertain him all day. Like, that bores him. And we get that a lot when he becomes king, and he's just like, I hate writing all of this crap all day. Like, I miss fighting. Like, I hate that I have a stylus, not a sword sort of a thing. Hmm. So the uh, the concept being that if you have a civilization that lasts long enough and eventually they end up with like robot servants or magic doing things for them, nobody will have anything to do and everybody will just end up doing heroin continuously. It kind of seems it's like basically because uh, what that actually puts me in the mind of uh, speaking of Lovecraft is at the Mountains of Madness and the story of the civilization of the Elder Things, which which very very slowly decayed. Um, over uh, millions of years 
uh, in an, something that we don't see directly, but which I could very easily imagine um, being a steadily per- increasing percentage of the population being like, why should I get out of bed when I can have the robot do all that for me and I can just lie here and do heroin? Yeah. <laughs> this was this was before the uh, the internet had had been been invented. Now it, it would be I can I can lie in bed and watch TV and surf surf the internet. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. The 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 web is my soma. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Except it, it 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 doesn't keep me thin, like which, which which I think was was one of the effects of soma, but yeah. Yeah, uh, consequence though. Huxley's Huxley's uh, dystopian future was definitely the the friendlier uh, between between his and Orwell's. Right, but it's that amusing ourselves to death thing that always I kind of comes across when in to me at least in uh, the Conan stories when we talk about these ancient you know, bygone or antediluvian civilizations, that that's basically what they ended up doing. Like, a lot of them, they don't... It's not a fading in the way that, like, the elves of Middle-earth fade away. It's like mm-hmm. a fading of a people that have just lost interest because there is nothing to motivate them anymore, that the sheer amount of luxury that has been provided for them in this their, in their civilization has made it so it, it's meaningless for them to do anything else with their lives, and they've kind of lost the view of purpose. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, of course, it, it has been a good 30 years since Neil Postman wrote Amusing Ourselves to Death, and civilization has not decayed with a notable lapse in terms of scientific and cultural advancement. So, well, that, that's because we, so there, we, we, we do not yet have uh, ro- robot butlers. We, we, we still have to do some work. <laughs> All right. Ladies and gentlemen, is there is there anything more that we can say about the devil in iron well i always like to ask what about this story what about these stories is directly relevant to the dungeons and dragons experience and at this point in our discussion of conan i feel like i can just go eh you know the whole thing kind of yeah pretty much i mean we've it's all, we've, it's all we've had we've uh, cursed jewelry we've we've had traps we've had lots of monsters usually some type of snake or some type of gorilla uh, I, th- I think the um, what is it um, uh, the the giant iron guy in in the devil in in iron. I mean he's 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 kind of like a like an iron golem. He's he's kind of like a living statue. But I, I mean I, I think his his origin is that he's an extraplanar demon lord, right? Right, Peter? Yeah, it's so that seems it like there. accurate enough. Yeah. So. Uh, and and he, he can only be killed by a special dagger. So there 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 you've got like uh, damage reduction, which is, which is conveniently in the dungeon that he's in, right? Well, that, that's that's because the I I think I think the reason that the dagger's there is because a a, a previous civilization civilization put him down and left him buried there with a dagger in his chest until stupid fishermen took it out. Yeah, there's right. a, there is actually an explanation for that. The wizard who successfully defeated him and stabbed him with the meteorite, meteorite dagger uh, could have killed him and then was like, you know, if I keep him in this state of suspended animation, then anytime anybody threatens me, I can uh, – or anytime anybody annoys me, I can threaten to to remove the dagger and unleash him. And he was able to parlay that into becoming like the first king of the uh, of his people. 
Although, you know, it, it didn't work out like in the long run. Take a long enough view. I say it worked well for him. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's there, there's a lot of good fodder here. There's there's there, there's a lot of good inspiration for dungeons, setups for ad, ad, adventure, ancient civilization, um, monsters. Not so much. It's it, he he seems to fight a lot of snakes and apes, and that that kind of gets tired after a while. But 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 the giant metal guy who can only be killed by a, by a magic dagger. That's kind of interesting. Uh, okay, the the uh, the zombie hyenas who used to be people is is also kind of creepy. I went looking through my monster manuals and stuff, trying to identify a zombie hyena that matched this description in Queen of the Black Coast, and I was really disappointed that I couldn't find anything. I mean, there's, there's, like, there's seems... really no reason why they have to be zombie hyenas. Yeah, but they are. I mean, they they could just be hyenas that used <laughs> to be could. people, or for the I mean, they could be a lot of things. You know, they right. could be more. They could be more winged ape monsters. I mean, they could they could uh, be owl bears or or bulets for that matter. I mean, yeah. in 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 he, your or displacer beasts or whatever you you want them to be. He needed a monster, and what he came up with was zombie hyena. And there's nothing wrong with zombie hyena. And I'm a little surprised that it's not in the. Monster Manual 2 or the Fiend Folio or the Creature Catalog. You can just take a hyena and apply the, the zombie template. We can do that now. Now we have that technology. Of course, it, 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 it would, have to, would have to be the fast zombie template. <laughs> yeah, if it's going to be hyena, that is true. I I I I I I do love how in in Queen of the of of, of the Black Coast this 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 millennia old flying necromancer and his 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 army of zombie hyenas they've they've been living there for who knows how many years they they managed to take out an entire ship of you know bloodthirsty pirates and, and then conan comes along and kills them all with, with his bare hands he was really angry though because his uh, his special lady friend was killed conan conan's just that that pc who has like an an 18 in all all stats you know, like he just, yeah. He is a he, he is an exceptional human being, and uh, along pretty much every axis. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Conan could have been a great theoretical physicist, I'm sure, had he you know been at uh, MIT at the right time and chosen to uh, to pursue that. And and if he had some anger anger management, he could direct that anger into his theoretical physics. Yeah. Grr, string theory. <laughs> I will say his character was definitely not built doing the three d six in order method, right? <laughs> There's there is just absolutely no way you get character stats like Conan doing that. I mean, I've built a lot of characters, and like to be that strong and versatile and charismatic, you just it just doesn't happen. Yeah. Well, it's the um, the dichotomy between on the one hand you want your player characters to be exciting, interesting people. On the other hand, if you pursue 3d6 in order you're not going to get that uh, and it lends itself to a different kind of game does but it, that's a perhaps a discussion for another time does it does it take away from conan's ad- adventures that that you you almost never feel like conan is threatened i like batman stories i like superman stories i like um star trek next generation stories um a good Iron Man story, and none of those are the the hero or heroes ever really given like an existential threat that is uh, meaningful. 
that is, you know, you, you, I, I never have read a Batman story thinking, wow, maybe this is the story where Batman dies. Um, you know, it's like you, you like watching an episode of the X-Files and somebody's coming after Scully. And I'm thinking, okay, well, this is X-Files season two. I know it goes on for nine years. I'm pretty sure that Julian Anderson doesn't exit the show after uh, halfway through season two. So I don't think Scully's going to get killed by the serial killer. But, uh, but, uh, that's an, but what I'm saying is none of that makes me mm-hmm. not enjoy the story. Um, I suppose. Because there are stakes. There are a lot of other stakes besides does the hero survive that you can apply and in really all three of these shadows in the moonlight queen of the black coast and the double in iron the stakes are less about conan surviving and more about olivia bellet and octavia yep that's that that's a fair assessment you know two of the three of them get out alive and and one of them and the one that dies is not the stupid one you know yeah and 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 of course we we never see any of these three women again even 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 the, even the ones that that do live. Yeah, that's true. Oh, that's oh. always true for Conan. It's 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 the same reason why they got rid of oh God. I can't believe I'm doing Star Trek again. It is the same reason why they got rid of jo- Yeoman Janice Rand though. Like Kurt can't have a built-in love interest because he needs to have a new one every episode. That's the same thing with Conan. Like God, I'm pretty Bailey. sure actually that they got rid of Yeoman Janice Rand because uh, some high-level ex- uh, executive associated with the show sexually assaulted the actress at a Christmas yeah, party. Yeah, there was that. There was also talk about like <laughs> alcoholism affecting performance, but that might be a very much '60s hush-hush cover. Up sort of thing for that, you know, that was what I assumed abused. about that. Yeah. yeah. Oh dear. Oh dear. Poor Grace Lee, Grace Lee Whitney. Yeah. Well. Well, uh, on on <laughs> that somber note, um, wow. Uh, yeah, that, that, maybe you want to maybe you want to cut the episode just before that. I don't know. And 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 I wonder why that. why no women want to come and be a guest on this on this show. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, so we, we 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 have reached the end of yet another uh, exciting discussion of uh, three of of Howard's uh, Conan and Barbarian stories, and we will we will probably see Peter again very shortly for uh, a, another round of Conan stories. Uh, in the meantime, uh, Peter, where can people find you on the web? Um, I have. A blog it is only has a few posts because I've been super lazy about it. But it is cromcountthedead.com because go figure that one wasn't taken. Uh, so uh, so far there's not a lot of discussion. Just a little bit about making anthropocentric, uh, low fantasy games for 5e and stuff like that. But there, it'll continue to uh, grow over time. And you can read the latest writings of my co-host Jeff Wickstrom at jeffwick.com. If you're not already checking in with him every week, you owe it to yourself to at least check it out. Ladies and gentlemen, if you enjoyed our discussion, if you have any questions, comments, or concerns about this episode, you can always contact us through The Tome Show by sending an email to thetomeshow at gmail.com. Put Appendix N in the subject line so they know to send it right to me. Next episode, prepare to blast off into the 30th century with square-jawed, two-fisted action hero John Starr in The Legion of Space by Jack Williamson. After that, we will discuss three more tales of weird fiction by H.P. Lovecraft, The Whisperer in Darkness, Shadow over Innsmouth, and Dreams in the Witch House. 
Finally, we return to the savage world of Conan for three more tales. Join us as we discuss the people of the Black Circle, A Witch Shall Be Born, and Jewels of Gwalur. The works of H.P. Lovecraft and Robert E. Howard are public domain and freely available on the web. The Legion of Space is not freely available, but you can purchase cheap copies from used bookstores through Amazon.com, and there is an audiobook version available through Audible.com. This has been a Tome Show production of Appendix N, Episode 22, The Stories of Conan by Robert E. Howard, Part 4. Thanks for listening.